Hi friends, join us as we dive into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. We are your hosts, Leah, Sarah, Tabby, and whether you're a new viewer or a longtime fan, welcome to Becoming Buffy. Hey guys, Sarah here, just popping on to tell you all real fast that Becoming Buffy will be taking a break on the week of November 23rd. That is Thanksgiving for us. Uh, We'll not be dropping an episode that week, but the following week, we will start right back up again with our episode analysis of Listening to Fear. Hi guys, welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Today we are talking about Season 5, Episode 8, Shadow, uh, written by David Fury, who also wrote um, The Reptile Monster in, oh, what was it? No, he has a theme with his yeah, monsters. Yeah, The reptile, reptile Boy. Reptile Boy. Okay. Well, my brain is on backwards today, so I can no longer remember episodes. This is how many episodes we've done, you guys. We've done so many episodes of Buffy that I'm now like, I can't remember actual name titles. Oh, you're right. It is Reptile Boy. Why does that sound weird to me? Okay. Anyway. Yeah, episode five. Yep. Season All right. Two. Well, he wrote Reptile Boy. So yay, another penis metaphor monster. This is not a penis <laughs> metaphor though, oh. this one. At least I don't think so. Apparently it was not David Fury's like idea to make this a snake. He was going to make it like a giant bug or something and it, he just couldn't figure out what he wanted to do. So um, any guesses on whose idea it was for it to be a giant snake? <laughs> <laughs> Leah? <laughs> She is the main reason why the, this show has weird sexual connotations. Like, <laughs> and I'm not—I'm not even like against throwing in sexual metaphors at all. But like, ooh, hers are always weird. They're always weird. They're never like she needs therapy so bad. Anyways. Yes, I agree. Uh, I have a couple more quotes from her, so hang on to that anger, Leah. Um, <laughs> Wait, real quick. Abby, I don't know why this came to my brain. She reminds me of those people that say like, you know, when people say something so like just crazy and they're like, guys, we all understand what I'm saying. And everyone's like, no. No, no we don't. Do you remember? <laughs> do you remember? This is going to be so stupid. But do you remember that like TikTok that like circulated last year where everyone was like stitching it and being like, no, babe, we all don't do that. Only you do that. It was oh, like, yeah. it was like the girl who was like, um, okay, guys, we all shit in the shower. And then was talking about like, like all the different ways people like take care of the poop or whatever. And then everyone was like, who's we? And then there was like hundreds of people <laughs> stitching it being like, no, don't say we. <laughs> yeah, you. don't bring me into this. <laughs> have you guys have you guys seen the TikTok trend that's like you can't eat at everybody's house you can't eat like they, this couple made a song because this person was like hey I have a hack for if you want to clean your toilet seats you can just put it in no. the dishwasher <gasps> no no <laughs> that's not real that's not real and then someone else was like oh guys if you have run out of paper towels you can use a used diaper to wipe out the grease from inside of your pan See, this is what i mean this is what i mean this is what marty Knoxon gives it's like that person who's like who's like guys like like we all do this it's like we all have this beast inside us that like wants like sexually abuse people and we're like no <laughs> that's not that's no, babe. I can say for certain I do not actually. <laughs> I am very confident in the fact that I'm completely okay personally. <laughs> yeah, she's got some weird stuff. Anyway, okay, moving on to Shadow. Uh, written by David Fury, directed by Daniel Adius, and it aired November 21st, 2000. So, 
Shadow. Not only is it a fitting title because it's talking about the shadow on Joyce's brain and the spell that Glory uses to find Dawn, who's shrouded in shadow, as she says, but it also really fittingly describes the gloom that is this episode and that this episode casts on the characters, the season, and the series. I have been looking for the episode where the vibe of this season really shifts and changes, and I think it's this one, guys. Buffy just goes through it. And it just, yeah, we're in the thick of it now, guys. Everyone is miserable. And yeah, this is season five. Um, This episode, though, the only thing I could remember about it when I saw that it was next, the only thing I could remember was the giant snake. Um, It's not a bad episode, but this episode feels like the literal definition of a hallway episode. It very, very clearly is setting up so many plot points in the future, but it's it's no fool for love. It's no family. It's no no places like home. We aren't really focusing on any one character, more just progressing a bunch of characters at once. So like this is an episode that's going to be referred back to the stuff that happens in this episode, Mm -hmm. but while watching it feels insignificant. Um. Based on where you feel like everything is going to lead. Yeah. It also just felt slow paced in some moments compared to especially like Fool for Love and Family. Like we had banger after banger. This episode, again, is not bad. And that's the thing about season five is your standards are so high. It really does feel like there's like a handful of amazing episodes in this season. And then everything in between, you're just kind of like, well, it's mediocre. And in actuality, it's better than most season four episodes. Passion the Nerd brought up a great point about why this episode is so forgettable, and he says it's because the two main plot lines that this episode draws on have been B-plots up until now, so Joyce's illness and then Riley's storyline. He says, and because of that, this episode feels like it has a bit of the old back half of season four problems, and that Riley, who just hasn't been talking to Buffy all season about his feelings, is now in a situation where he absolutely cannot talk to her without making Joyce's illness and Buffy's family struggles about him even if he's been making Buffy's family struggles about him since out of my mind, which I agree with. It's really hard because they're the writers. Oh, again, it's like, do you like Riley? They chose the worst episode for Riley to start cheating for all this stuff to happen because it makes him look so supremely selfish, even though this is what he's been struggling with all season long. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't do well for him. If they started this in the beginning of season five, it would be way different. But like he comes off as such a freaking douchebag in this episode. It's like whiplash because you see him being so kind to Dawn and so sweet to Buffy in some instances. And then you're like, what the heck are you doing over here? Mm Mm-hmm. Marty Noxon says, for my personal taste, and this says a lot about me and my dating history, I liked Riley. <laughs> oh, of, see of course she does. Of course we she would. We haven't even heard her out yet. She would, bro. She would be like, the fact that she always feels the need to be like, well, me personally, my taste. No one cares, Marty. No one cares about your taste, bro. Like, oh my gosh, bro. She wants what? us so bad to get it. We're like, okay. She's like, my taste and everyone else is, right? Right? Like everyone else has the same. No, Marty. No one wants Riley. No one wants her. We all poop in the shower, guys. <laughs> Literally her. No, don't. She's like, I- everyone puts their toilet seat in the washer. <laughs> And the dishwasher. Um, That would be very loud if it was the washer. But okay, I think it says a lot. (laughs) It says a lot that Joss chose her to be 
the uh, showrunner for the last two seasons that Joss put so much stake onto what she has to say and in her input. Um, I think that just kind of shows also how twisted Joss is as well. But anyway, all right, let me make it through this quote. Marty says, for my personal taste, and this says a lot about me and my dating history, I liked Riley a lot more a lot better once he started to get fucked up. I liked him much better once there was stuff going on with him and I that I didn't understand or couldn't put my finger on. When he was soldier guy, he just lacked that darkness that is so appealing in our characters. Most of our characters have two sides to them. They're relatively complex. Part of what we were playing with him is that he is presented as the anti-angel. He was supposed to present kind of a problem to Buffy because he wasn't the scary guy and could she deal with that? Could she deal with someone who was really there for her and not dangerous? Dangerous. At the same time, unfortunately for the audience, that was not interesting. So even though it's a real life dilemma, it didn't work for some people. Some people loved him unabashedly as they should have. He's a fine actor and a great looking guy. But if you're a little twisted like me, it didn't get interesting until he was cheating on her, basically, and going to the dark side of town and getting bitten. <laughs> oh my, who says that? Who says that, bro? Oh, it didn't get better for me until he was like a douchebag. <laughs> like, why would you ever admit that, bro? Why would you ever? Admit- she would be the type of person who would like write this weird complex book about how like cheating is actually like just a cry for help. No one cares. No one cares. Uh- oh my God, I hate her. <laughs> she ruins the show she does she ruins it guys she ruins it you'll get it you'll get it by the end everyone who thinks i'm overreacting w- watch season six and you'll get it you'll get some it some okay? people like it though some people like season six darkness but there's a difference between darkness and just like exploitation like misery. characters yes misery but, but it's also yeah. like there's a difference between like i don't mind dark storylines but like story because i like season six but it's like there's a lot of parts of season six that you're like dude this is too far mm-hmm. or this is too much or it went on too long or because i'm not as much of a hater as season six and i think a lot of people are but it's just like it, she puts in things in there not just season six, but the whole show that like, it's not dark for the sake of like a good raw material. It's dark because she thinks it's like edgy and like turns her on. It's like, oh my mm. God, no one cares, bro. To me, it's really problematic. And I think this this quote and the next one says a lot about what the writers were attempting to do with Buffy and Riley in season five. Just the fact that she's saying that Riley is supposed to present the kind of problem to Buffy because he wasn't the scary guy. And could she deal with that? Could she deal with someone who was really there for her and not dangerous? And as we're going to talk about in this episode, the episode is trying to paint it as poor Riley poor Riley, Buffy's ignoring him, poor Riley, all this other stuff where Buffy's been trying to include him this season. Buffy has not been actively ignoring him, but let's look at the things that Buffy is dealing with. Her mom is in the hospital, bro. Womp, womp. Riley, we don't care, bro. Like, just be there. Just be there. Yeah, but it's not enough. And just be there. Yeah, right, right. Oh, my God. Yeah. So it's really, it to me, it's frustrating to see the writers were trying to, I know they were trying to challenge Buffy, which I do appreciate, but you can do that without making such an obviously extreme case that shows that Buffy is like in the right for being distracted, you know? 
All right. So the next quote is from David Fury. He says, the fact of the matter is characters become far more interesting when they go dark anyway. Riley was such a good guy, a nice, pure Captain America kind of guy. And it didn't seem to fit in that world. It didn't make us go, wow, what a cool guy. It was, what a Boy Scout. Kind of dark was a way to give Mark more to play, to make the character more dimensional. The whole initiative thing was always tricky thing to play. And the idea of that super secret agent monster killer. You take Buffy, which was such an intimate show about friends and family, and you start to make it a little too big. Riley was outside of that world and we were trying to bring him into it, but it just never quite worked. And while I understand what David Fury is trying to say, I disagree with the fact that Riley was not interesting because he was normal and because he was a good guy um, and that he didn't fit into that world because he's not dark enough. Because I think there have been plenty of characters that are like that. Oz, for instance. Yes, he's a werewolf, but we barely saw that. And I thought he was interesting. Willow has been relatively very tame and not dark, um, maybe with the exception of Buffy herself. And it's like, Riley just was not interesting because you did not write him well, not because he was normal. And so it's interesting. I think the writers didn't like, and we've said this over and over again, the writers don't know what to do with Riley. They haven't known what to do with Riley. So they've written him really poorly because they haven't quite got their finger on what they want him to do. And so then their reasoning for why he doesn't work is because, oh, people just don't want normal. And it's like, no, I've seen some amazing normal characters that were very compelling. And then last quote is from Christian Kane, who plays Lindsay over on Angel and who actually auditioned for Riley. He says, poor Mark Blucas. He's a great guy. I can't say enough about Blucas. He's another one of the nicest guys in Hollywood. He's a dear friend. Nobody in America was ready to accept the fact that Angel was gone. It had nothing to do with Blucas. Nobody was ready to accept that Angel was gone and Angel and Buffy weren't going to be a thing. That's why Blucas got hammered. I don't think that anybody in that role stood a shot. You could have cast Brad Pitt. Okay, maybe that would work. But other than that, I just don't think anyone would have had a shot because America loved Angel. And he's right. But I think to say that that's the reason Riley didn't work is a bunch of hogwash. I think in the beginning, that's why he got a lot of backlash. Absolutely. But the way they wrote him was lazy, bro. Like, Mm -hmm. it's obvious from the beginning that Riley is not permanent. Like, they don't care. They don't give him enough. Um, They don't try with him and Buffy. Like... They, like, I feel like the reason why no one liked him was because they could tell Buffy didn't love him. So we didn't love him. Like, I think the writers just, again, they didn't progress him. They didn't ground him enough. And they didn't give us enough of his hopes, desires, dreams, anything of depth and layeredness in the beginning other than those two things, which was initiative sh- initiative soldier and wants Buffy. And again, they haven't really gone past that very much now in season five. So... Yeah, he has no purpose or identity outside of Buffy, even now. And he's convinced that she doesn't love him. And that means he's useless. Therefore, Spike and Dawn's words in this episode, plus Buffy's very valid distraction this episode, are filtered through this idea for him. And he takes everything personally and says, oh, it's because Buffy doesn't love me. It's because Buffy doesn't love me. And it's like, dude, maybe it's because Buffy is distracted and has a lot of other things going on. Um But Riley doesn't know because he's not talking to Buffy. And ultimately, that's the biggest downfall is the fact that Riley doesn't have this conversation with Buffy until it's too late. So I love when we have an episode in Buffy that starts off exactly where the last episode leaves off. Like we are seeing Joyce's CAT scan, the one that she 
said that she was going to go and stay overnight in the hospital for like right after last episode. So this is like directly following Fool for Love. And I love when it does that because you could tell that the writers know exactly where the story is going this season. They're like, hey, like we have plot points and we have stuff. Like even though this is a hallway episode, like I can appreciate hallway episodes because that means that the payoff is most likely going to be really worth it because they're planting seeds along the way. Yeah, and that's why season five feels like a movie. We're literally picking yeah. up the next day from Fool for Love. Family picked up right up where No Place Like Home left off. Real Me picked up right from where Buffy versus Dracula mm-hmm. left off. Like each episode is a continuation. There is something to say about the feel of certain seasons. Like people talk about the feel of season three and the feel of season five. And it's because both those seasons from the get go, you could tell that they felt confident in how they wrote storylines and characters. Mm-hmm. And you could just tell when the when the writers are on their pen. Like you could just like even for the first episode of season five, like the the vibe and the pacing, like it just everything felt like it was there. Even though it's like a silly episode, like it just we talked about this. It was like like I made a joke like, oh season five is season fiving the first first episode, even though it's like Buffy versus Dracula. Um like You could just tell that like everything, most things, not everything, most things are there for a reason. There is going to be obviously plot points that are going to be like fully fleshed out because I feel like that happens when you have a 22 episode season. Um, There are going to be things that really aren't necessarily there for a long run, but um, I just love when it does that. So we start off with Joyce getting her CAT scan. I I love having the conversations with Buffy and Dawn. when it's just them two, I really appreciate how they write their sibling dynamic. Like genuinely when they're talking, I'm like, oh, like this is like, it's it's very sweet and it feels genuinely real. Like this conversation, I feel like is something you you have maybe for when Dawn was written as like a 12 year old or whatever. But like, I like that it's like we see this little like younger innocent version of Dawn because she's very fragile in the mm-hmm. hospital. So um, this, yeah, the these first few scenes with Joyce in the, it's technically an MRI. The machine that they showed is an MRI, but whatever. In the CAT scan MRI. That's what I was thinking. I was like, I don't, I don't know. I was like, the, she's going through it like a whole body. I'm like, that doesn't, yeah. work, you know, whatever. Um, But yeah, the machine and then the scene with Dawn and Buffy in the waiting room. I was like, man, what show is this? Grey's Anatomy? ER? Like this feels vulnerable and human on a level that we haven't felt before on this show. Um, And there is supernatural elements, but it's so bizarre to see really, really human elements mixed in with supernatural in this episode. They do it really well, but we're not used to seeing things this human on the show in a way, like at least medically, I guess I should say. But especially like Joyce, like there's something about, I mean, obviously she's not our mom, but like we've watched her for five seasons be the mom of television. And so seeing her so small in a hospital bed and like, like getting bad news and like trying to be brave. And oh my gosh, the the silent sweetness and tenderness between her and Buffy this entire episode mm. is just like, oh, they both just did such a stellar job. Christine Sutherland, it, we haven't really seen variations in her acting other than I guess I would say band candy. But this, I was like, whoa, it, it's weird 
because both her and Sarah Michelle Geller look like they can be related. Totally. And the micro expre- the micro expressions that she was having, and then Buffy, like they both have tears in their eyes, and as they're talking, and just seeing them talk on a more peer to peer level versus mother daughter yeah. relationship, like from a mother to a teen that we've seen through seasons one through almost season four. It, this, it just made me realize how far we've come with both these characters, but just also really appreciating the acting. It, it was so good. Going back to what Tabby said, I think part of what's so jarring about seeing Joyce like in a hospital and like not doing so well is like we see Buffy as this unmovable force, like powerful, mm-hmm. unkillable, all these things. And I feel like by extension, we view the like Joyce and like as untouchable, as untouchable as well because they have Buffy, and so it's like you just never really think that. And Joyce hasn't really been put in much danger. Like she has been by association, by being in Sunnydale, and by um, being like in relation um, or like letting vampires in or stuff. But like she hasn't really gotten captured. Oh. Helpless. Helpless. Yeah. She got bit by Darla too in season one. Yeah. I was thinking Angel and Helpless are the only two I can think of. Maybe I don't know the show, guys. But But those are supernatural. (laughs) Yes. But, and also for the most part, like it wasn't this prolonged thing. She didn't really get tortured much. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and Buffy came and rescued her. And like you always had this sense that Buffy would come and rescue her. But this is so jarring to see because you're like, you feel helpless because Buffy feels helpless. Mm-hmm. And I yeah. think that's what makes this so jarring. Go back into the shop. Giles has an ad in the phone book. Good for him. Um, the gang comes in and they need to research and figure out who Gloria is at this point. They don't know that that's her name. Um, okay. I love that Tara is behind the counter and that you see Tara in the shop alone with Anya and Giles without mm. Willow, which is something True. we would not have seen before family. Um, and Tara, like I think they're trying to solidify Tara is really a part of the gang now showing both Anya and Tara, like actively involved in doing things versus Riley, who is not. Um, she even gives useful advice and is the one to introduce the fact that, Hey, like maybe Glory's not a demon and maybe she's not in the books and you should look somewhere else. Um, which Again, I love the contrast with that and Riley who's floundering because he feels like he's not actually contributing. That's so true, Sarah, because even like Xander and Willow took a backseat in this episode and it was Tara and Anya who were like the secondary Scoobies. Yeah. Yep. Well, in Glory's place, we have her trying on multiple pairs of shoes. Um, (laughs) This part, I feel like when I think about like um, Glory and like a monk, this part where he's like, let, let me give you my tongue. And then she's like, bring it here. And he like sticks out his tongue and she dra- grabs a scroll. This is very Barbie of Glory sitting mm-hmm. here on her bed, you know, trying on her shoes. She has layers. She's just a girl. <laughs> she's just a girl, guys. She's just a girl. She's a little girl. She's not dark. She has she's no darkness, but wrong. she has layers. What are you talking about, Marty Noxon? She's not trying to kill Dawn. Um, the actor who plays Dreg, the minion, is played by Kevin Weissman, who was also on Marvel's runways with James Marsters and Bridget Brannick, who plays Virginia Wesley's girlfriend on Angel. And he most famously played Marshall Flinkman on Alias. And he also previously appeared alongside Sarah Michelle Gellar in the 1997 TV movie Beverly Hills Family Robinson. So apparently this guy has many ties to the Buffyverse, and now he's Dreg. There's always such like a a trail, like you can yeah. stick me and put me 
put any movie in front of me and I could find a trail back to Buffy. Like I, seven degrees of Buffy. Sometimes yep. I love doing that. I just like a little challenge to myself. I'm like, hmm, how can I like trail this back down? That there's like a like a theory too that like any movie you could trail back to Zendaya. And I'm like, oh, that's so true. Like, oh I feel yeah, like you could sit there and there's always a trail back to Zendaya. Same thing with Buffy. Well, People started that with Kevin Bacon. It was seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. But I feel like it's kind of an older generation thing. I couldn't do that now, I don't think. I mean, I, I choose to do seven degrees of Buffy, and I've never had to go all the way to seven degrees. It's usually been about five, five or six. Yeah. They are going to try and find a spell so they can figure out where the key is. We still don't know what the spell technically is. She needs to get some supplies at the magic shop. And we find out her name is Glory. Oh, is this the episode? Yeah, guys, we didn't know what her name was. Isn't that a shock? <laughs> oh, dang. Well, we really did not try to mask that. Because <laughs> yeah. well, what is a name do, bro? Like, really? Unless the name has some, like, power, like some some special, some, like, what does a name do? Like, if Angel was an actual angel, then we'd be like, <laughs> um, this man. <laughs> <laughs> well, her name actually is kind of significant. I mean, we've had it foreshadowed multiple times in Fool for Love. You know, Spike was like, you know, all there is is, you know, death and glory or whatever. And he's referring, I mean, you have glory here. And the fact that, that like her name kind of contrasts the title of this episode, Shadow, Shadow and Glory, like they almost are opposites in a way too. Or we can call her most Chinese special one or whatever else drag calls her this episode Glorificus. <laughs> Your elaborate marvelousness. Terrifically smooth one. <laughs> so at the house, we have Riley coming. No one's home. Um, and then, oh my gosh, he – I always forget this is put in there. Oh, this scene. He like sees like Spike like smelling her clothes. No. To which okay. he like gets mad at him and he grabs her underwear. Oh my gosh. First of all, he sees that same crusty blanket that he was using when he was walking around the woods looking like a sickly Victorian child in pangs. <laughs> and he Spike leaves his crusty blanket on the floor in Joyce's perfectly swept house while Joyce is literally in the hospital and he's standing there sniffing Buffy's underwear and her sweaters and scarves like get out of here Spike. I was team Riley in this or in this moment of the Real. in this scene i was like get out of here well then spike is just a menace in this episode because he's like taunting him <laughs> with the fact that him and buffy spent last night together at the bronze um and he's like oh you you didn't know that like joyce is in the hospital i knew last night i'm like yeah when really he come went to, kill to her. go <laughs> go blow buffy's brains out yeah i i like how riley walks into buffy's room and is like hey and i was thinking back to um it was family, I think it was, when Riley unpacked all this stuff for Buffy. And now he's like, Spike's over here unpacking it. And he like walks in. It's like, hey. And you know what? Like, Spike usually says most things. I feel like with every three things that he says, maybe one thing is somewhat true, not fully true. <laughs> but like, the fact that he's like, hey, like, like, Buffy's been doing a lot of like, protection spells to lure out vampires. And why do you think I haven't been on that list? Which... No, I'm not saying Buffy is into Spike because I genuinely don't think that she is. And and then Spike is like, oh, like it's because you're harmless, which I definitely do think Buffy is thinking that. But I also am like, why wouldn't Buffy – like I know he is like harmless. He has like a chip. But I'm like, I don't know. I, I feel like some things I'm like – because I actually genuinely do believe Buffy isn't into Spike. But right. I'm also like, like story-wise, why wouldn't she not have him – 
you know. I I kind of agree with Riley in this moment, I, but I also think it's Buffy's not thought about it. I think to Buffy, Spike is so not the topic of conversation, not in her brain at all because she's got a bajillion other things. And because he isn't a threat, therefore he's like, she doesn't well, think about him as all. Even the at way all. that she thought, talked down to him in Fool for Love was like in a way of like, I'm so unconcerned with you. Like you're beneath yeah. me. It wasn't like a, yeah. you're beneath me because like you're, you know, it's like the whole like enemies lovers will those say things, but they're like doing it just for reaction. Like no, like Buffy like said that with her chest, you know? Exactly. Yeah. I, I just think he's not a threat to her. He has no identity. And again, I always, my ears perk up whenever there's a scene with Riley and Spike because they've been comparing them for her. Yeah. two seasons now. And both of them are aimless. Both of them are purposeless. And both of them are consumed and have their entire identities consumed with Buffy. Um, and so when Spike is talking to Riley, he's doing very much the same thing he did with everyone in season four when he separated them and tore them apart. And what he did with Buffy last episode, he's perceptive enough to know someone's weaknesses. Then he gets in there and gives a little bit of truth mixed in with a bunch of lies and manipulation and Mm -hmm. he can't hurt them physically. So he gets pleasure in hurting them with words and hurting them emotionally. gang game is like really just up there because like you're saying, like he, he'll, he knows the deep down truth of it, but he twists the truth into something else that they like. It's it's like convincing them of some sort of feeling that's much bigger than the actual feeling that they have. But it's hard for them to deny it because there's some truth in what he's saying. So like right. him being like, "Face it, white bread," which hilarious, love that. Buffy's got a type, <laughs> and you're not it. She likes says dangerous, rough, and occasionally bumpy in the forehead region. Not that she doesn't like you. You're just not dark enough, which right. I feel like is kind of true. But like, it's her type isn't like vampires. I think it's just people like we've talked about this before. I forget which episode was a few episodes ago. Where like, it's not that Buffy needs somebody to be a demon or needs somebody to like whatever. I think it's like it helps when somebody has the aspect of themselves because they can understand the darkness that Buffy has to deal with, mm-hmm. and and because of that, like Buffy's Slayer life is her. And yeah. Riley will only really understand the human part of Buffy. Right. Um, right. Obviously, she is human. But I'm saying like the, the part of her that is like Buffy, the human, rather than being yeah. the slayer. Um, and it helps when somebody comes from that darkness because they can understand this huge part of her. And I know we've joked a lot about it. And I know that – you know, I say, oh my gosh, like Buffy doesn't love Riley. She doesn't, she hasn't said it and all this stuff. And I, I had an interesting conversation with one of our listeners, Suzanne, shout out to Suzanne on Instagram. And this is something I've really been wrestling with as we've been watching the show with Riley. Um, I don't know that I can say with 100% certainty that Buffy doesn't love Riley. She hasn't said it. She said things like, tell me about it. And, um, I don't know. I forgot what the other one was. But she said things like that. And Suzanne mentioned that Buffy historically has not been very demonstrative and open with saying how she's feeling. And that includes with saying whether she loves someone or not. She did tell Angel she loved him. But it was in specific – like what if she first said it, it was in specific instances where Angel asked her if she loves him. Like he asked her outright. She wasn't forthcoming all on her own. And yes, she was very demonstrative with Angel for sure. But I think – 
it does a bit of a disservice to Buffy when one no one's asked Buffy. We don't exactly know where Buff, how Buffy feels about Riley, other than what we've seen of her and what she's said. But we haven't. We don't know exactly if she loves him or not because no one's asked her. Um, so I'm hesitant to like say something without knowing for sure. But the it second also is kind of hard to say because it's like part of me does think she loves him, but just right. It's not in the same way as Angel, yes, which is exactly. hard. Because it's not it's passionate, like, which is. Totally, it's totally normal to right. like have different types of loves for people. Um, I think that Buffy does love him, but she doesn't. She will never allow herself to love him the same way that she like yes. openly loved Angel. Like there was no reservation in loving Angel the way that she does with Riley. If that mm-hmm. makes sense. No, it totally does. And that was going to be my next point. I think it does a disservice to expect that all relationships have to be at this level and have to look exactly like this in order for it to be valid, in order for it to be something that, okay, cool, you love each other. Buffy and Riley's relationship is going to look different because both of them are different people. Like Buffy's different than she was with Angel. She's grown up. I was going to say also in the, in the same way and i know that buffy and right uh, sorry buffy and angel's relationship isn't just a first love type of thing but it also does have an impact of like you will never love anyone the way you love your first love that doesn't mean you'll never love anyone more it just means the way you love the first time it's so innocent it's so there's no like you there's no trust issues there's no like some people do but it's not from love it's from other things but it's like you love unapologetically mm-hmm. and without reservation and i think yep. that's why your first love is so formative is because mm-hmm. your first love affects how you love in the future mm-hmm. um and i think that that's part of the reason why buffy and angel's love is so deep is because buffy loved without reservation right and now with riley she never like she never lets go of that yeah valid (laughs) um and i think she could if she wanted to but i I think that she just doesn't want to i also don't think she's had the time like we established they've been together what eight months eight months guys that's crazy that's crazy i thought they'd been together like two months at this point or two Mm. years at this point no no it's maybe been a year at this point, but it's been a, it's been eight or nine months. I think we figured that out a couple. Um, yeah, because they never celebrated an anniversary. Yeah, well, they remember. got together halfway through season four, and it's only the beginning of season five. Like, yeah. So all that to say, the big problem, and I'm not. That's not. I'm. That's not to say that Riley and Buffy are soulmates and they're meant to be together. I I think fundamentally, Riley and Buffy just are not compatible. But I do think that Buffy cares deeply for Riley, maybe even loves him to a certain extent. Um, the problem that's that we're seeing is that Riley is not communicating to Buffy specifically what it is he wants, he needs, what he expects, all this stuff, or even asking her outright. And because of that, he's inferring a lot and it's allowing Spike to move in and Spike to play on those fears of Riley. And instead of Riley going and talking to Buffy, he starts to filter everything through this. And that's why we have him biting or (laughs) not biting. That's why we have him being bitten by a vampire later on because he's like, oh, she must want dark. So therefore I want to see what the appeal is all about. Um, and again, it shows that he fundamentally doesn't understand her. And a lot of that is because he's not talking to her. So anyway, that's my Riley spiel for now. 
I'm so tired of talking about Riley. Can't wait until he oh, goes away. I can't with him. So Riley ends up throwing him out, um, to which he finds out about Joyce in the hospital. And I, I will say I do feel bad that he didn't hear about it through Buffy. That also wasn't Spike's position to tell Riley, but like, are we surprised? No. Um, but also <laughs> Buffy's in survival mode. So like Spike happened upon it because he literally came to her house, but Spike's twisting it in this moment. So like, I do feel bad that he found out about it through Spike, but that's also not Buffy's fault. You know what I mean? Like the, Buffy's yeah. not like in the wrong here. I, that, that's very clear to say because he's sitting there throwing a hissy fit mentally without like really just being there. Um, I don't know. Anyway, she Buffy seemed pretty relieved to see him when yeah, he came to the she, hospital. Yeah, and every time he comes in, he's come in twice this episode, and both times she's like, "Oh, like she feels like she's like able to like relax." Like, and mm-hmm. oh, well, I mean, we'll get there when we get there. But there, like every time, I'm like, "There's body language that she's happy that he's there." Like her facial expressions, what she says, like she's definitely happy he's there. Also, it's like. Sometimes it's a hard pill to swallow, but sometimes you're not at the top priority list in a situation. Her mom is sick. You're not her priority. Her mom and her sister are. And it's a hard pill to swallow when you love someone because you want to be the top of their priority list. But sometimes you got to take a step back and be like, this is bigger than me. Like, this is bigger than me and I need to just be there for her. And I think it's okay if he asked her, like, hey, like, why did he know before I did but like don't come at it in such an accusatory and like angry way because it's like that doesn't help anything like I think the hard part about Riley is a lot of times I understand the core Mm -hmm. of what he's doing right but they just never he never really handles it the right way like he it's always so angry and so possessive and you're just like dude you gotta relax well and Riley Riley comes off entitled is what happens in this episode. Uh, the script literally says, so Riley and Buffy see each other inside of the or outside of the exam room. Uh, she's just about to go inside when a hand falls on her shoulder. She turns to find Riley. He looks a little uncertain, not sure she wants him there. Buffy says, Riley, he says, hey, I heard and thought maybe you'd need. And then it says, Buffy moves into his arms, scared and grateful for his presence. She says, I do. I'm glad. I just, I didn't want to until we knew what it is. And he says, I understand. And I was like, do you though? He keeps saying these things like, I understand. No, you go do that. All this stuff. But I'm like, communicate what you're really feeling, but maybe not like right now, but like communicate at some point to her about what's going on. Cause at this point it's on you. So poor Buffy's pacing back and forth, waiting for um, everything to be figured out. Then Riley comes, they embrace. Um, Buffy asks him to sit with Dawn and then Buffy goes into the room and we find out that Joyce has a shadow. Dude, I teared up in this yeah. scene. Like Christine Sutherland's as she's holding Buffy and says, I've got a shadow. And she's like, has like a little tremble in her voice. And she says, the doctor says it's too soon to be concerned. I was like, oh my gosh. She's like trying. And like, it's like that mom way of trying to be strong. But it's like, you're still scared. You're still human. Like, well, we have to remember Joyce doesn't have anyone. Freaking yeah. Hank Summers is gone in Italy with his secretary. Joyce has Buffy. 
And so she's leaning on Buffy and that's why Buffy feels the need to be so strong because Mm -hmm. she's trying to take the burden off of Joyce when it comes to Dawn, but also to give her mom someone to lean on and to be dependable enough. And so she's trying to hold it all. I understand this completely. This is her life that she's allowed to feel sad, mournful, angry, like upset, like all these emotions, but then there's this dynamic that's really difficult because you don't want to completely just unravel around a mm-hmm. child, even though Buffy's 20 here. Like, you don't want to sit there and do that because, like, at the end of the day, like, you are their mom and you don't want them to see you like that and give them trauma for the rest of their life or make them feel like bad or like guilty or like, like, you don't want to make them feel like, that Buffy feels the need to like step up in a way that she shouldn't have to, you know, it's just, it's so difficult. And and that's just a 20 year old daughter. Like imagine when Dawn comes in, like there's a different mm-hmm. type of like, okay, I have to shield myself even more. I have to word the nastiness of what's happening in a way that's not going to traumatize a 14 year old, you know, mm-hmm. like you have to be like, Hey, like mom has, you know, there could be something. Um, and I have to do more tests And that doesn't mean anything major. Like we still don't know any answers, but like, and then just reassuring them, like, like that's a really hard thing to have to go through when you yourself want to break down because it's your life that you should be mourning. And so I just really feel for, I mean, this is coming from like watching the Barbie movie. I'm like, I just like really feel for like mothers too. Like you look back and you're like, you have to like, being a good mom is like censoring a lot of your natural responses to things so you Mm -hmm. don't like damage your kids. Um, So at the shop, we see the the gang still researching diligently. um, And then Tara kind of, like Sarah said, mentions like maybe glory predates the written word, which is very interesting. I remember watching this for the first time being like, what? Like I was like, what could she be? Yeah. Yeah. And then Glory pops up and they sell her some things and she we walks have out. no clue. Yep. Not Glory shopping for things like a mortal. Also, she looks so cute. That I dress love her and fit. the hair. It's very um um Cordelia, the color it's of it. So the cute. I'm uh-huh. in love. And she's just adorable. I just want to like squeeze her. She's so cute. <laughs> you know? This is what makes her so fun. The dichotomy, man. Uh-huh. And she's just so much fun to watch in this episode. Like she's so chipper. She's so uh-huh. confident, full of herself. Like she knows what she wants, but she's also kind of a brat, but it's mm-hmm. like a fun brat, not like, you know, yeah. Kennedy. Um, you, you guys, if you know, you know. She's just fun. <laughs> Sorry, any, t- we'll any chance <laughs> any chance I get to bash Kennedy. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, that's that's for another season. Yep. Back at the hospital, we see little Donnie sleeping, and then Riley puts his coat over her, and he's just very sweet to Don this episode. Dude, um, I just have so many conflicted feelings with him. I'm like one minute I'm like, you're the worst. I the know. next minute I'm like, oh <laughs> But because no, here's the thing. It's really easy to be a good person. In a a situation that leads itself for it. Mm. Like he is not doing anything that is not required of a loved one. Like Mm. any any person would need to be there. If it was Xander, he should be doing the same. If it was Willow, Anya, Giles, whoever it was, if Buffy asked them, just watch, just watch Dawn, they'd all be the same. Like yeah, he's not being mean. Like he is being nice, but it's it's almost like 
if someone opens the door for someone. It's like, okay, yeah, sure. You didn't have to open the door. You wouldn't be a mean person if you didn't open the door. But like you opening the door doesn't mean that I'm going to applaud you for being the best person ever. Like it's just kind of basic. It's basic kind of whatever. Like it's human nature to just be like someone is mourning. I'll be there for them. Like and if you're not there, it's okay. But if you are there, it's like that's nice. But it's not like best man ever. Best boyfriend award. Oh, my gosh. It's like, no, you're her boyfriend. Be there. You are expected to be there. It's kind of one of those unspoken expectations of being the significant other of someone who's going through something really traumatic. So like uh, Catherine and I were watching Hill House and I won't give any spoilers, but there's like a huge part like that where like we felt really bad for like the spouses or the significant others who just like in the background were just walking around and fixing things um, during like a huge like mournful period and like how like they weren't even the focus in the episode and yet we felt really like bad for them because they just would walk around handing people coffees and like fixing things, fixing flowers, like and doing all that sort of stuff. And I feel like it's one of those things that it's like it's expected and it's one of those things that has to go thankless. Like it's one of those things you have to do. Like if you're going to be with somebody, like it's one of those things that you shouldn't no one should have to sit here and have to do all that and work endless hours to be there and support the person that they love when they're going through something really major like this. But it's like, if he didn't, they would be off. He'd be an awful person. If he sat there and he was there for like an hour and then like left Buffy alone with Dawn and like just didn't show up and like wasn't there, he'd be awful. I also think too, it's hard to watch this. And I agree. I agree with you guys. I think too, there is a sense that like he's doing this so that he can find meaning and purpose, not just because he's trying sure. to be an altruistic person or he's just trying to do the right thing or just like support Buffy. Like he just wants to help. It like he does want to help, but he's doing it because he feels unfulfilled. We don't do good things just because it feels good. We do good things because it's the right thing to do. On top of what you're saying, Sarah, I think I completely agree. And I also think not only is he trying to search for a purpose, I also feel like he's trying to prove to Buffy, Buffy, yeah. not Buffy, Buffy and himself. that he is needed. Yes, and absolutely. Like, mm, I mean, in a sense you are, but also in a sense like you're not. I have so much to say about that with the last scene of them. I'm going to hold off because yeah, I, oh yeah. I, I have like, oh my gosh, that part Good. is a I can't wait to like, hear oh, it. Oh God. Um <laughs> But anyway, uh, kind of like going to what we were saying like uh, a few minutes ago with like Buffy like witnessing Riley putting the the coat over Dawn and like she looks like so like happy and like like she loved seeing that. Like the look in her eyes is like Mm -hmm. she loves seeing her boyfriend like, you know, be there for her sister. And then she rests her head on him. The doctor comes out and then we have this conversation where he tells her that she has a brain tumor or a low-grade glioma. I think it is what it's called. Glioma. Um, glioma, yes. Um, he says things may progress quickly. It lists off all of these just really hard to hear symptoms that could pop up. Um, and says nearly one in three people that have this do fine. Um, Ooh, that's not a great statistic, that's honestly. Not, yep. Mm-hmm. I love how this is shot because it's mostly on Buffy's face as we just hear this yeah. barrage and we just get to watch the facial expressions. And we're, I love how we're with Buffy this entire time. We're experiencing yeah. things in real time. We're learning things as Buffy's learning them and how she's learning them. And the camera does a great job of conveying that and making us feel as if we are Buffy. Yep. 
Then Ben comes and relieves Buffy from the doctor and it's like, yeah, you look like you needed a break. And then just reassures her and says, hey, like this doctor knows what he's doing. He's a really good doctor. She's in good hands. Go take a break. Take a nap. Go get coffee. And she's like, um, take a break. What? What's yeah. that? And then Riley comes. She hugs Riley and says she needs a healing spell. Um, and then Riley is like, hey, like people get sick. And she's like, that attitude is not helping. I understand. I yep, I understand Buffy. He's not necessarily saying anything that's different than what Ben said, other than like the magic thing is not going to be helpful. But like, there's nothing you can do is basically what Ben said. Like, you've done all you can do, and Riley is kind of trying to say that. Like, multiple people say that to Buffy yeah. in this episode, and Buffy takes it out on Riley because he's her safe space. Riley is the person that she feels like she can rest with, and. Like that's going to happen. But Riley takes it personally and it thinks, oh, you don't care. You don't love he's me. he's so freaking insecure. Ugh, whatever. Yeah. Um, they just make moments like this ugly. Like people who are intrinsically so insecure that they just make moments ugly. Like you didn't have yeah. to do that, you know? Um, and Buffy is like, hey, I'm going to go out for a little bit. Can you watch Dawn? He's like, of course. Um, then she goes back to the shop and then Anya has her whole like, Hey, that scares like everyone in the shop. Hey, hey. I want to point out real fast before, sorry, before we get into this moment, um, Buffy trying to protect Dawn throughout this entire episode, not, it's very significant. Her trying to protect Dawn from the snake is also tied with her trying to protect Dawn from what's happening with her mom. It's Buffy protecting her own innocence because Dawn is supposed to represent Buffy's innocence, Buffy's childhood, um, Buffy's connection to her humanity. And so when Buffy is talking about Dawn, looking at Dawn, she's treating Dawn as she wants herself to be treated, how she wishes she could be treated. And so like the music that plays in that moment when she says, don't tell Dawn anything, it's the same from No Place Like Home when she and Dawn are in Dawn's room at the end of the episode and Dawn asks, what's wrong with mom? And we kind of end there. It's this, it's just, it's beautiful because Buffy is doing everything she can to preserve Dawn's innocence, just like she wishes could be done for her. And I think that's just really important. <laughs> Giles says, Anya, your haze are starting new customers. <laughs> <laughs> well, she tells them, she's like, hey, like you can't sell these two things together. Like this is really catastrophic. It comes from like this whole cult thing where they would like create basically this huge monster. Um, and Willa catches on as like, oh, shoot, that's pretty big. But only someone with a great amount of power could wield that. And they all kind of click in the same moment. They're like, oh, that was probably Except for glory. Xander, who's like, what? Yeah. what? What am I missing here? <laughs> and then we have the scene with a random, like, carousel in Sunnydale. I'm very confused with Sunnydale. Yeah, this actually is um, at Griffith Park, where we used to hang out when we were younger. I don't know if you guys ever remember Griffith Park. Um, we went there several times. But this is the Griffith Park merry-go-round. Um, this location was actually used in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer movie in 1992, which is kind of funny. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. I don't remember that. I don't really remember much about that movie either, but maybe we'll do that for our Buy Me a Coffee fans. I'm done. I honestly, it's kind of camp. Like it honestly, like it, like when you watch oh, that's it, you're pure like pure camp. Yeah, pure and camp. It's kind of fun yeah. to watch. I actually don't yeah. mind it. Like, uh, uh, <laughs> he's like dying <laughs> seventy times and at like the very the, end. Like the um, the actual like villain is like playing a violin as he's like dying. Oh, that's so funny. So funny. Okay, <laughs> anyway. this scene between Dawn and Riley. Okay, so 
It's meant to be played off as cute and some parts of it are, but not Dawn, not every summer's girl having to make Riley feel better when they are literally the ones that are struggling. Like I just like Dawn is trying to say nice things to Riley. And he's like, maybe I'm not making this any better. And so Dawn's like, oh, I got to make him feel better. She's like, no, this, I just, I, I like ice cream soup. When you're like, no, you don't. No, you don't. You're just saying that. And then she tells him like a sweet story about like how she was 10 and like with her mom and stuff. And then she's like, I'm glad you're around. Buffy's glad about it too. And you can see Riley being all like, oh, yeah, Buffy, Buffy's glad. And then she's like, she sure cries a lot less with you than she did with Angel. And then she goes into, yeah, you know, she was like, oh, my boyfriend's a crazy vampire. Every day was crazy, crazy, like end of the world. She doesn't get all that worked up over you. And I was like, why is that a bad thing, Riley? Why are you taking this so bad? That's a good thing, dude. <laughs> I think it's interesting that Riley, Buffy's attempt at a normal life, and Dawn, Buffy's connection to her humanity, are having this conversation about Riley being good for Buffy and Buffy not being, you know, as stressed, I guess you could say, uh, or as passionate. Um, Riley has been great at grounding Buffy and bringing out her humanity, but it's clear that he doesn't want that role or he doesn't want to just be that. At least he needs something else in life to go along with it. And it's really frustrating because it feels like maybe Riley's dissatisfaction with Buffy is really his dissatisfaction with his own life and that he's projecting onto Buffy. And it's so frustrating. Maybe I have a different view because although I do see that, I actually do feel like his emotion and reaction in this scene is something I'd have. Like, I feel like reading between the lines of the lens of this world, Buffy getting all worked up and crying a lot in the relationship with her and Angel really showed that she was really a lot more emotionally tied in the relationship. Um, obviously, this was a real relationship and I heard that my ex was crying a lot more with their ex I or my, my current boyfriend or whatever was crying a lot with his ex. I'd be relieved that he wasn't like that with me, obviously, because that's a healthy relationship but i feel like in this world it's a little bit different because yeah. it's like life I see what or you're death saying. angel it's you just know? hard because it's like the real world like in an actuality like this totally. would be a good thing but in yes. this world like yes technically she was not as invested in you as she was with angel i know that but then i'm also like yeah. i'm trying to bat for buffy here and it's so hard because the writers are making it very difficult like it's hard in because inconsistencies but i think that it is it's it's hard to explain in a way that like I 100% understand Riley feeling that way in the moment, but I don't think that Buffy recognizes that. I think that she's thankful and is kind of in, been in fight or flight mode for a while now, so she hasn't really noticed that much that Riley isn't the correct fit. So yes. I don't think she's sitting there and, and thinking like, oh, this is uh, different than me and Angel. She's just thinking like, Riley's a good guy and I'm so thankful for him and I really like him. Right. And like, I don't think that she's thinking like that. I think it's no, more she's of not. Like, like he senses based on how he feels compared and then having Spike kind of like keep reminding him. Like, I think it's it, it's an unfortunate situation um, and he's correct and kind of feeling that, but it's also not Buffy like shoving that down his throat. You know what I mean? But also, like, 
Buffy's relationship with Angel was so up and down because of the circumstances that were surrounding it. Right. Buffy but and she Riley's also was relationship. very like, they were on the same wavelength. It was like, if something happened to Buffy, he, like, Angel was struck. If something happened to Angel, Buffy was struck. Like, they were in the same wavelength. Whereas, like, right. when stuff happens with Riley, it's like almost like she's like babysitting him and has to go and like find him and he's punching a wall like a tantrum little oh. child. You know what I mean? Also, like, it's like, why do people keep letting Spike get in their head? Yes. Like at a certain point, why don't you right. stop and be like, you know what? I'm secure in my relationship, and I know that she would. But tell Riley me if isn't there was though. Going on. Anyone exactly. Could, but that's what I mean. And it was like do that. Spike is clearly always trying to get to people, and they let him. Sorry, yes, it starts to be every your time. fault. <laughs> it's because it, it's 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 when they're most moldable, and and Spike knows that. Like the reason why he split up the. Scooby is at the end of season four is because all of them were in a place where they could be screwed up. You know, that's what he pounces. Like he's very aware of people's emotional states. So like, I think it works here, you know, um, back at the shop, we have um, Buffy telling the gang about um, what happened with Joyce and that she needs a spell. And Giles just very calmly and to the best of his abilities, like, hey, like the mystical and medical aren't meant to mix. Like the brain is a very delicate thing. If you if you try to do some spells with it, it could really end up being really damaging. Um, this is one of those things you can't just like really mess with. You know, like there's a difference between doing spells to like help someone like physically, like like let's say they're in like having a protection spell or or healing their hand or like things like that. But when it comes to like the brain and heart, I feel like those are the two things you're like, hey, like those are like really like moldable things and like that affects everything or else delicate. in your body. Yeah. Yeah. Um Oh, oh yeah. Anya kind of like hints at the fact that like Glory was there and everyone's like, hey, Anya, let's not talk about you being clumsy. And poor Anya's they like, throw her under oh, the bus. Okay. And she's like, it was most certainly not me. And then they're like, wink, wink, Anya. And then she's like, oh, it actually sounds just like me. Yeah. <laughs> slippery, slippery butterfingers. Well, and Bobby's like, Buffy what happened? Yep. Uh, Buffy catches on and then Giles tells her about selling the stuff to Glory and then they're like, hey, it wasn't exactly her coming in, like, you know, and hurting us. It was like, we sold it to her. They're all really embarrassed and then Anya explains the origins of the stuff that they sold. Um, then Buffy's like, okay, so I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to go off and, and kill her. And they're like, hey, Buffy, you almost died last time. She's like, well, I'm ready this time. I know. You can tell she's like, I need something to fight. Let oh, me let absolutely. me at him. I Guys, remember the last time we were at the zoo? I forgot that we went back to the zoo. I was like, hey, the pack, you guys. <laughs> they, they made the, it come back. The teeny tiny, enormous zoo inside the small town. This whole scene in the zoo, I'm just like, I don't think I've ever seen Buffy just like not even land a good punch. <laughs> like she just was being walloped, like thrown against the wall several times, thrown into the glass exhibit window display um and then the snake comes out massive buffy leaves before glory even tells the snake yeah. to go find the key so like she misses like this was really just pointless <laughs> they were very creative in the how they had glory basically beating buffy up at one point she like grabs her from behind like glory grabs her behind and then like stretches her arm out of its socket like yeah, dude. it was pretty brutal 
Yeah, to which he ices the wrong shoulder in the next scene. <laughs> I know. I saw that too. <laughs> but okay, in the midst of all this, guys, like I adore Buffy. Buffy is having such a hard time, but I also adore Glory. And anytime she's beating Buffy up, like I feel bad for Buffy, but I'm also like, you go, Glory. Like she's just strangely relatable. Like they're doing the incantation. She's like, ugh dark incantations always overwritten why can't they just cut to the chase and i was like dude right i love the way they write her she's just so fun and interesting she's such a like lively presence on the show yeah she like throws buffy into the one of the display boxes and goes scene and i was like ah just love her she is the first villain on the show that i i think i've said this before but she's the first villain on the show that i'm genuinely like I don't know how Buffy's going to beat her. I don't know if Buffy will. Like, I yeah. really, I, she is, it's so clear that it's like Buffy is, is out of her league here, mm-hmm. which has never happened before. Yep. Yep. So back of the shop, we have Riley come in. Um, Giles and Xander tell Riley about what Buffy is doing. Um, and Riley's confused that they let her go alone, that it's very dangerous and she shouldn't be doing that. To which I forgot that Xander calls him out Dude. here. And I was like, good for him. Something's I wrong at because all. Xander called him out. Mm-hmm. And I was and he was defending Buffy. What 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 is go, happening, guys? And he says he's like, he's like, Buffy needs something she can fight and solve. I don't know what kind of action you're looking for, do you? I was like, ooh. Good job, Xander. And then he was telling Riley because they had that conversation earlier on in the episode. I think we skipped it where Riley was – Riley had gone to to um, the vampire nest and exploded it last episode. And mm-hmm. the gang was supposed to meet him the next morning to help him take yep. out the vampires. And I'm glad and they brought it back there. in because yep. I, I thought we were just not going to talk about it because I don't, I don't know why I don't remember him saying this to Riley. So I was like genuinely shocked. I was like, oh, good for him. Yeah, and the the fact that not only does he call Riley out because and they've built this up so well with Riley and Xander going back and forth and having like buddy buddy moments and Xander holding Riley accountable with the information he knows but also coming and saying, "Hey, I'm not trying to get like trying to get between you guys," but then he says, "Are you okay?" Like Xander is checking all of the right boxes here. He's calling out his friend, but he's also checking in with him. And this would be the moment where Riley opens up, but he doesn't. He makes a choice and he leaves. And this, that is the turning point for everything right here. And you cannot say that Riley did not have chances because he did. Yep. Uh, Mark Field says, Riley's holding a double-edged sword. He's upset because Buffy won't give him the passionate attention he craves, but he's so focused on his own needs that he isn't giving her the support she needs. From the viewpoint of an unbiased observer, it's hard to escape the conclusion that he's being selfish under the circumstances. As Xander tells him, Buffy can't fight Joyce's tumor, so she needs to confront something she can fight. Note that she can't actually fight Glory. There's a metaphor there. Riley is ducking the real confrontation because he's unwilling to face up to his own fears. And he's right. Xander asks if Riley is okay, and he says he's feeling crazed and then leaves. So back at the shop, we have Buffy calling Giles um, to tell about the fight and the snake, and I just live for the moments that Giles is like stepping into father mode. He's like, hey, are you okay? I can stop what I'm doing and come to you. And she's like, no, I'm, I'm fine. Um, she says she doesn't know what the snake is trying to do or find um, and tells him Don is coming to the store um, and to not tell Don about Joyce. Yeah, again, the subtext, she's talking about herself. Don, she's kind of fragile right now about mom. We're like, so are you, Buffy? Physically and emotionally very fragile. 
Oh, and then we see Riley, just like the whiplash, just in a demon bar. Zand- Sandy comes back, and as soon as she pops up, we just kind of know something's going to happen. There's no way they're just going to introduce him playing with fire the last episode and then have a comeback in this episode for something not weird to happen. The you know? fact that there is a literal montage of Buffy yeah. and Joyce in tears uh-huh. at the hospital while Riley is getting bit by a vampire because he's not getting what he wants. You can play all the pretty music in the world that you want, but this moment is just- It makes me sick. Something else. It's like worse than him having sex with a girl, honestly. This is just toxic masculinity, and it's I'll so explain disgusting. why. Because he and I, I was going to say this towards the end, but he needs to feel like he's the savior in the relationship. He needs to feel like he's helping her. He feels needed, and that's rooted in the fact that he feels. And I've been saying this forever. He feels insecure. The fact that he's not stronger. Then Buffy, he doesn't feel man enough in this relationship. And I really feel like at the end when he's like, let it all out, like I'm right here. Like he needs to feel like he can be that strong savior person for her in this moment. And the fact that he's not getting what he needs in this moment and he can feel needed by a vampire, like his blood, like they need his blood and then ends up killing her. Like that's so, oh, it's so gross. It's so gross. I think that's part of it, Tabby. I don't think it's as simple as Riley wants to be stronger than Buffy or as strong as Buffy. I think Riley thinks the reason why Buffy doesn't love him, I say in quotations, and doesn't want to be with him is because he's not strong. It's not that he's intimidated by her strength. It's that oh, it's he both, thinks- the, For sure. I think Riley thinks that the reason Buffy doesn't care for him is because he's not strong and that he therefore is insecure about who he is because he does not measure up to who she is. And so like, it's a subtle difference there. And so I don't think Riley has any problem with Buffy's strength. It's the fact that he's not strong. And so- when he's going to get bit by Sandy, it's because he wants to feel what he thinks attracts Buffy to the dark. He's like, okay, what is it that attracts Buffy? Like, can I feel that? Like, is there darkness in me? When I first saw this, I thought Riley was going to get turned into a vampire. And I thought that was so interesting. The fact that he was like, Spike saying, Buffy needs a little demon in her man. Riley's like, well, shoot, I'm going to go become a demon then. Um, But this is so much darker because he stakes her afterwards. And what a picture of self-loathing if there ever was one. The fact that he uses this woman, which is like a metaphor for a sex worker, and then kills her and is all like, well, you're disposable. Like That just kind of shows a really nasty side to Riley that we haven't really seen before. Yeah, I think it just it feeds into the fact of what we were talking about this episode with him. Like, it's like he feels very emasculated. Um, yeah, and this totally. like this, and that's kind of what I was like hinting at. But like we, we were talking about him being like really insecure this episode, so I feel like I need, didn't need to like go super into that. But I totally understand what I totally agree with what you're saying, Sarah. Yeah, it's like a subtle difference because like. He, it's not that he's a, he's afraid of Buffy's power or that he doesn't want her to be strong. It's that he wants to be strong too. Well, that's what I was trying to say. Like it's not that. Oh, okay, like, gotcha. It's not that he is scared of that. I think it's the fact that he. It's a it's a trigger to how he views himself. So like sure. her being strong, or whatever, is a reflection on himself. Like yep. he wants to be and needs to feel like he can contribute in that yes. way emotionally and physically in the yep. relationship and so he hates the fact that she is stronger because it's a reflection on him you know hmm. um the music is really pretty though <laughs> yes at least the music's pretty it's like the, the oh my gosh you know like in we talked about how like the music 
with the scenes with Willow and Xander season three that was like trying to manipulate me into like tra- yes. liking them together. It's the same thing. I'm like, no, I don't feel no. bad for Riley. <laughs> no. <laughs> and like Into the Woods, I don't feel bad for him there either. Like I like stop trying to make me feel like, oh, like this is such a beautiful, like sad, bittersweet moment. It's like, it's like Riley, no. you have other options. This isn't your last, <laughs> yes. like this is the only thing I could do. No, dude, you could go talk to your yeah. girlfriend is what you could do. Yep. Uh, and then we see the snake go to the carousel, which is where Dawn was earlier. So we can definitely see that it's tracking and figures out the essence of Dawn. Um, and then we have the the scene in the shop where um, Xander leaves right as Buffy comes back in. And then Buffy asks if they've seen the snake, to which the snake comes crashing in, knocks Buffy down by like a, a desk to which she can't get up, sees Dawn, eyes flash. And then leaves. And everyone else is like, why did they get spooked by Dawn? And I forget that, like, no one knows mm-hmm. other than Giles what Dawn is. Because, like, Giles comes they're straight up to, to Buffy. Mm-hmm. I feel like the Scoobies are going to have to know soon. Like, they're going to figure out. The fact that they're like, wait a minute. And, like, Buffy blatantly says to Giles in front of all of them, it knows or something. I'd be like, wait. Okay. I think there's something that I'm missing here. I feel like at this point, now that the threat is becoming really real, like the time of her telling everyone is definitely going to be really soon. So we see Buffy just goes straight after the monster. (laughs) She's like, I need to go get this thing. This whole scene as like cool-ish as it's written, it just doesn't translate well with the amount of graphics. And then also the very, very fake puppet snake mouth it's just it's so bad now this looking is like back. one of those times where it's like oh, man it's really hard to get people into this show like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this time it's like i know i know okay i know it's bad i know it's bad just like just ignore it just just like you have to understand the concept you have to understand the concept <laughs> it's so bad it's so bad every now and then and this is very rare i'm like if I were the if I were directing these shots, I really feel like I could have made it better. Like the part where like Buffy is like r- like railing on him and like um ends up like beating him to death right after she tries like choking him out and he like ends up like faking it or whatever. Like it would have been so impactful if we didn't even see the like external shot, like the big shot of like the, it like oh it's <laughs> like, like bouncing as she's like punching yeah, exactly. it. <laughs> if it was just her face and her fist going in and out and you just see blood and guts like spitting. That would yeah. be so much more impactful of her just like literally like, in her face. She, you could see her like relenting and like – or not relenting, releasing all of like the turmoil um, that she's been feeling and she goes at it for like two full minutes and right. she's silence of her just like really like beating it to like its death. That would have been right. way more impactful. Then they could do like the, the wide shot and it's like <laughs> bouncing – because it's like styrofoam and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> well, okay. So the scene where she catches up with the snake demon and then uses the chain to strangle yeah. it, they're pretty sure it's like a very clear reference to Star Wars episode six, Return of the Jedi, in which Princess oh, Leia uses yeah. the chain uh-huh. to strangle Jabba the Hutt. Um, mm-hmm. This is although Buffy doesn't fully defeat the snake until pummeling it on the ground, Buffy's position relative to the demon during the strangulation, the similarities of the look of its flesh and a few cuts showing the twitching tail very closely near the scene in Star Wars. So they're pretty sure that – because I was like, this is very oddly cut. Um, also, Kate, 
that you guys are gonna crack up. This gave me Jurassic Park vibes, like when her and Giles are in the car chasing after the snake. The music sounded so much like Jurassic Park when they're in the jeep being chased by the T Rex. It was really funny. Except that scene is so much better in Jurassic Park. And what are you talking about? This is iconic. In like '94. <laughs> I know. I know. The Years graphics in this. Jurassic Park have held up so much. Well, because they played with lighting too. They really they set the scene. Much better budget. I mean, it's Spielberg, right? So, it's it's hard because this this episode is so emotionally compelling. And I think it's a little undercut by the graphics. But again, that's what we love about Buffy. We just haven't had like a a poorly designed villain or, um, you know, monster of the week in a while. And so I think we're a little like jarred by it. And then we have Glory in her evil stepmother moment as she's like looking outside and down from her mansion. I just was waiting for her to turn back mm-hmm. and be like mirror, mirror on the wall. Who now is the fairest of them all? So we end with the last hospital scene um, and we have Buffy and Joyce talking in the room and Joyce's face, my gosh, it just kills me. Like she's like trying to hold it together Um, and she's like, hey, like I want to talk to Dawn alone about it. She really deserves that from me. Um, And they just look at each other and have like a a few quiet seconds of just understanding. and it just like that part made me like tear up a little bit. I was like, oh, I was like, ugh. just like that moment of like, it's like, oh my gosh, both the acting from them. Mm-hmm. It's just like, it's, they have a whole conversation here. It's like a, I love you. You're doing so strong. Like, like this understanding, this moment of like vulnerability and intense, like love for each other. And then yeah. also being like, I need to have this with Dawn as well. Like you and I have had this moment. I need to have this with Dawn. Um, And it's just so sweet. Like Dawn comes in and she just looks especially small to me in the scene. I just was like, Mm -hmm. oh, this little baby has to like sit there and like talk with her mom. And like, it just like made me so sad. And then Buffy watches them like hug from like the door. And I just really feel for Buffy. Oh my gosh. And her acting, like her little quivering. Yeah. Yeah. She's just so little. Like you think of Buffy and it's like you think of I special I think especially with Dawn coming in, you're like, oh, she's old now, she's the older sister. But it's like you look at her and you're like, she's what, twenty? Mm-hmm. Maybe? Like, she's a baby. She's so little. And she's now having the thought of losing her only parent like yes she has a dad around in the world but he's not there like this is her parent this is her lifeline like it's like her emotional tie to the world is like her mom and her sister but like joyce is that pillar and it's just so sad dude yeah yeah this they convey so much with so little being actually said it's crazy and you mm-hmm. feel the seasons of a connection with not just the each other but with us as an audience too it's amazing Sam Michelle Geller has always had just 10 out of 10 performances but there are a couple in this season that are my absolute favorite like I have there are three episodes four actually four episodes in this season that are my top four of her performances. And this is one of them. This scene, this is probably the, the out of the four, this is the fourth best that she has. Um, and just the look that she has in the hallway where she's watching. Mm-hmm. And 
the, oh my gosh, the multitudes of emotions that she's feeling. Like, like when an actor convey can convey an emotion where they're trying not to cry, like when they're trying mm-hmm. to hold it back, like, I'm like, do you have to get to that place emotionally? I'm like, that is so difficult to do. And I imagine yeah. them being in a room with dozens of eyes on them. There's people holding like cameras and holding up like microphones and this people might be behind the, the cameras. Take and yes. holding and that energy for that long. Yes. Yeah. And Sarah Michelle Geller is sitting there and hurt. You could tell, you know, when you're trying to hold in crying so much that your throat burns, mm-hmm. that's exactly what I see in her. Like she's sitting there and she has like tears that are like literally about to drop and she's like about she's like quivering she's like about to like actually like mm-hmm. break and then like you know when like you're about to get there then someone gives you a hug and there's like no way you're coming back from that like you actually yeah. like you have to yeah. cry at that point <laughs> Buffy like gets hugged by Riley and he's like let it all out and then she's like no I can't because if and I, I do, understand like, that uh-huh, she knows uh-huh. if she starts crying she's gonna fall apart yes. uh-huh I get that 100% and I 100% believe like I don't Oh, and I was looking at this, I was like, this isn't an actress doing this. Like, I actually felt the emotions that she was feeling. I was like, no, she absolutely will, like, break right now, you know? And, like, Joyce says, yeah, send in Dawn, but don't go too far. Like, she asks Buffy to stay by because she needs her support. And so mm-hmm. by Riley being like, hey, like, I understand he was in a good place by saying, hey, just let it all out. And Buffy saying, no, I can't. Joyce calls her five seconds later. So Buffy's right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Anyway, how the turntables have turned. Riley shows up in a very initiative-looking shirt, which is very interesting. Turtleneck. He's wearing that turtleneck. And I'm like, you were getting all angry at her because of Dracula biting her when that was not her fault. And now you're actively seeking it out. I just also, I can't. There is no way. There's no way. I don't care if this is a show. There's no way a boyfriend turns up in a situation wearing a turtleneck. Yeah. And the girl doesn't ask, why are you wearing a turtleneck? I think in she's California just a little too. distracted. There's <laughs> no way, bro. We've never seen him in a turtleneck, bro. There's no mm-hmm. way. She's not like, you are, You own a turtleneck? Also, someone like, who like lives in Southern California, it doesn't get kind of cold until like late November. And she hasn't had her birthday yet. So it's probably around, this is what It is this, November. So, it is November. Yes, but it gets like maybe 65, 70. Not enough to wear that thick Hospitals sweater. are cold. <laughs> Not me trying to Sarah. defend Riley's. <laughs> no, okay. The script says, a moment as her composure fails her, revealing her true fear and vulnerability as she reaches for Riley. She's fighting tears. Riley sees it, reaches for her, able to be strong for her at last. And then he says, come here. She lets him pull her into his arms. She looks as though she's finally going to let down, grateful for his touch. He says, it's okay. You need to let it out. I'm right here. But Buffy pauses, wanting to let go, but not daring. I can't. Not now. They need me, you know? And then she steps back, gently pushing him away. She says, if I start now, I won't be able to stop. They stand apart for a moment, Riley wanting to comfort, wanting her to let him in. Then, you know, Joyce calls. Buffy looks at Riley. He nods his understanding. She takes his hand, squeezes it, then moves towards the door. And then it says Riley watches the door closes behind her. And he's left standing there in the hallway alone. The optics, the way this is written, they're trying to make us sympathetic to Riley. And I'm like, it's not working. Riley has had plenty of opportunities and chances. And he's being selfish. He's being selfish in this moment. I just... I no sir no. 
I I feel like the optics of this episode and he's not thinking objectively anymore. He's still filtering everything through this selfish lens. And the thing is, as Pasha the Nord points out, Bobby doesn't open up to the Scoobies either. The only person she kind of semi-opens up to is Giles in this episode. The times we do see her open up and let others in, it's been mostly right place, right time. Like with Spike in the last episode, he was there. Riley here. He he says, Pasha the Nerd says, it is is it inevitable that Buffy will scar and harden against the constant and unpredictable onslaught of an uncaring universe? Is it necessary that we sacrifice a part of ourselves on the altar of adulthood? Those are some of the questions for these upcoming seasons. So the writers are trying to be like, oh my gosh, Buffy's pulling herself away from Riley. Like, look at this. She's hardening herself. So she's actually becoming like Dracula said she would and stuff. And it's like, but her mom is dying. Like, I just don't understand what the writers think that they're trying to do. Like, I understand what they're trying to do, but at the same time, like, I just don't sorry, know. I don't feel bad for him here. Do you guys feel that Buffy is closing herself off from people or at least starting to? A bit, but she's mourning. Yeah. Who the heck doesn't go through that when they're mourning? There's a certain human rule where it's like when someone is mourning, I don't care if that person is alive or dead, Buffy is in a way mourning her mom. You give them passes. Sorry, like when someone is mourning, especially as their significant other, you give them passes of like, you know what, they're trying their best. This is the best that they can give me right now. And this is the best that she can give them right now. No, I just was annoyed with him when he's like, let it all out. I'm like, oh my God, I understand. Maybe it's coming from a good place, whatever. But it's just like, uh, you just want to feel needed in this moment. It's not what she needs in this moment. Maybe like, I understand like if you're thinking that's what she needs, but if like, if she needs to be there for her mom, and she's like, I can't right now. Like that whole lash out of him like in the hallway. I'm like, okay, I don't feel bad for you. She needs to be in there with her mom. Like, why is this about you? Like, I feel, ugh, I don't know. I'm annoyed. It's it's portrayed as she's closing him out of her life again. In every instance, they've been like, oh, Buffy's closing him out. She's not telling him about Dawn. She's not doing all this. They've all been valid reasons. So it's really hard to take a sympathetic view of Riley when the show is giving us very realistic reasons why Buffy is not opening up to him. Yeah. So I don't know. Anyway, whatever. I feel like a broken record at this point. We're mm-hmm. just going to be saying the same thing over and over again until we get to the end of this arc. And I'm trying really hard to be as objective and see things from Riley's point of view, but it's really hard to when he's not acting rationally and he's actively making poor choices for himself for no reason at all. Anyway. All right. Well, that's the most heated I've been ending an episode. <laughs> mm-hmm. Come back next time, guys, to hear us talk more about Riley and all that stuff that's going on. No, uh, this is this is this is a hard episode to get through, and it begins kind of a hard arc to talk about. But hopefully, we're gonna discover more new things about Riley and Buffy, and yeah, definitely more stuff with Glory. So. We hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, let us know your thoughts. We would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and Tumblr at Becoming Buffy Podcast. And you can email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support us or hear our spoiler section for each of these episodes, plus a few other perks, you can join our Buy Me a Coffee membership at buymeacoffee.com slash becomingbuffy. Shout out and special thank you to our producers, Cashan, CJ, Paul, Chrissy, Kate, and Sophie. Thank you to our listeners, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye.